there's gonna be some brighter days Oh, ashes fall from burning dreams Oh, never live through times like these Oh, if you're trying hard to breathe in the dark In the It's Palm Sunday. Uh, let me encourage you, if you have not picked up the elements, we're going to have communion a little bit later. Uh, I want to have just a, a short message this morning, and then we want to take a few moments uh, and have some, have communion, have uh, the Lord's Supper together today. So that'll be a part of our service today. But this is our first of two services, and uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. I didn't realize we had this many early birds in our church. And so... Uh, Welcome, and God bless you for getting up this early. Thank you, worship team, and uh, all you up in the sound booth, too, willing to get up early and to do this with us. Uh, but this will give us, it gives you more space. You can spread out, right? Uh, isn't that nice? You can spread out a little bit and hopefully give second service a little bit of space. Reminder, we do have Sunday school right after this, so you're the lucky crowd. I have to make sure I keep the sermon short, right? Uh, that way you get out on time. The other group, we can just keep on going if we want, right? So you're the smart ones. They don't realize it, but you guys, you guys, you know, you're smart, so you're like, okay, we know he has to keep it short uh, so then we can get out on time for Sunday school. So if you can stick around for Sunday school, we'd love to have you. Uh, at uh, one of the classes there. Matthew chapter 21, uh, and we'll jump here in just a moment. I'd like to start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into the word. And as I mentioned, be prepared. We'll be having communion together as well. As we continue our series on what is our mission, uh, but we're going to tie it into Palm Sunday, and uh, we're going to see something very interesting that Jesus did uh, on that first Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word this morning. Thank you for each one that has been able to make it out today, uh, this morning, Lord, early. Uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that um, we have the privilege to come and to worship you uh, and to just bring honor and glory to you. Even in this passage that we read this morning, a little bit later in this passage, as there were those who were criticizing the children and criticizing those who were praising you, you reminded us that even the rocks would cry out. And so, Lord, we, we know that you are truly worthy of all honor. You are worthy of all praise and glory. And so we lift you up today. May you be lifted up. Lord, as we think about this week and as we're preparing our hearts to celebrate the resurrection, Lord, we think about all that you went through for us and all that you did for us. And in a few moments, we'll remember your body will remember the blood that was shed for us and all that you were willing to do for us. Lord, I pray that we would, as a church, that we would be on mission with you and that, that your mission, Lord, would be our mission and help us not to be distracted or get distracted, Lord, from the important priorities that you commanded us to do and so, Lord, I pray you'd bless, Lord, our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of you are familiar with the first Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday, so we're going to go to Matthew 21. Some refer to it as the triumphal entry of Jesus when Jesus came in, and we call it Palm Sunday because they took the palm branches, they tore them down, and they, they threw them in the streets as Jesus rode in on the donkey. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. And uh, just be reminded of this, this event. It says this in verse number 6. It says, Then uh, the disciples went out and Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey 
in the colt and put on, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. Notice what he does immediately. After he comes in, after this triumphal entry... The Bible says, and Jesus entered the temple. Notice what he does. And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. And he takes the seats, it says, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He throws them. He tosses them. And he said to them, it is written. He's going to quote Isaiah the prophet. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it. Den of robbers. Go back in time with me, if you would, a few thousand, a couple thousand years to when Jesus is now riding into Jerusalem. Can you picture this great throng of people, this great crowd of people? Josephus, a historian, said that there were upwards of over three million people, most likely, that, that completely just packed the city of Jerusalem. They were there for that holy week. They were there to celebrate uh, the Passover, which was coming soon, but there were many feasts and many things. And so that week, the, the cities is packed with people. In fact, that's why many of them said, well, well, who is this? What is going on? Why is this happening? They said, haven't you heard? It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. It's Jesus, the prophet. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally meant, oh, save God, save us. They, real, they had this reality in their minds that Jesus was coming and that he was going to deliver them from the power of Rome. Oh, how fickle this crowd is. Because the same people who cried out, oh, save, in a matter of just days, they're going to cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. And so Jesus comes in on this, what we call triumphal entry, a little bit later, we won't have time to read this chapter, but it says that then Jesus goes to the temple. We're going to see here in a moment what he did in the temple and why he did it. But he also healed. It says that children began to come into the temple courtyards and children began to come in and they began to cry out, Hosanna, 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 oh, save, oh, save. And the religious leaders got angry and they got upset and they told Jesus to hush them. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop. And Jesus said, oh, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings comes perfect praise. And he said, if they don't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. And let me tell you something. I've been to Israel. And if you think there's a lot of rocks in southern Utah, there's a lot of rocks in Israel. There's a rock everywhere you go. The whole place is, is rock. And Jesus made an interesting statement. Even the rocks will cry out. He is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. he is worthy of his praise and glory. When we see Jesus in the scriptures, when we see paintings of Jesus, when we see Jesus, most of the time we think of Jesus as a baby in a manger. We see maybe Jesus healing. There's times we'll see paintings or depictions of Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We'll see Jesus breaking bread or fish and feeding a multitude. There's times we'll see Jesus in the paintings of the Last Supper. We'll see these pictures. We'll see a picture of Jesus knocking on a door in a beautiful garden. But let me ask you something. When was the last time you saw Jesus knocking over tables and throwing chairs? Come on now, right? That's not how we typically picture Jesus. Jesus went in to this temple. In fact, this isn't the first time. It's actually the second time that Jesus went into the temple and did what he did. 
We don't think about this, but Jesus was angry. How many of you see that? Jesus is angry. Could you imagine if Pastor Anthony one day came in and just started throwing everything off the platform and throwing stuff? <laughs> you would say, you need anger management. You need therapy. We don't see Jesus this way. Am I right? How many of you are honest, right? We don't, a lot of times we don't think, we think of Jesus as, I'm not trying to be mean, but yes, he was soft in a, in a way of, and kind and gentle. But there was times where Jesus got angry. Jesus got upset. I mean, it's interesting that there's a few times that we see Jesus angry, visibly angry, where even his disciples say he was upset, he was angry. Jesus for sure was upset. He's angry. We'll see this in a moment why. And we're going to talk about this just for a few moments. But why was Jesus so angry? Let me give you another passage, though. Ephesians 4.26. Because I think this is important. Paul says this. Can you say the first two words with me? So is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to be angry? Yes or no? Yes. The Bible says there's a time and a place. You can be angry, but he says, but do not sin. All right? And so there's a difference between being angry and, indifferent, and then allowing that anger to control you, to overcome you, and cause you to, to sin. So he says, be angry, but he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. By the way, boy, we, our society's become so woke that if you're even a little bit upset or angry, you're like a horrible person. Do you understand? Can I tell you something? There are some things to be angry about. That's a whole other sermon. I don't have time to get there. But you want to know something? Abortion angers me. It angers me. Makes me angry. And as believers, as Christians... It should anger you. Amen, church? But the Bible says, but do not sin. It doesn't give us a right to go out and blow up clinics. And it does not, do you understand? Be angry. But he says, but don't sin. But there, there should be some things that anger us. And there were some things that angered Jesus. And it's interesting that when you look in the ministry and the life of Jesus, there's two, uh, two or three times when the Bible clearly says he was angry. There may be more, but it's interesting where he gets angry and who he gets angry with. It was with the religious leaders. Look with me in Mark chapter 3. I have the scripture here, but Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This one's often missed, but here's a time where Jesus gets angry. It says he entered the synagogue, in, in, up, most likely Nazareth in, in Galilee. He goes into the synagogue. And it says, and there was a man that was there who had a withered hand. Could you imagine this man with this withered hand and how difficult it is for him to work and to provide it says, and they, the, the, the religious leaders, it says, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So it's a Sabbath. And so they want to see, they want to catch Jesus, if you will, in their minds, sinning, doing something good on the Sabbath. And so it says this, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So the man, he comes and he said to him, and he says to, the, to them, to the crowd, he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Listen to what he says, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He knows what they're thinking. And they, they know that there's this man there that, with a withered hand. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And, and, and Jesus even says to the man, here, come here, come here. And he comes forward and he stands. There. And then Jesus is going to use this opportunity. And he asks them a question. He says, because he knows they're trying to catch him. They're trying to trick him and trying to deceive him. And they're trying to, you know, catch him doing something that in their mind is sinful but he asks him a question. He says, is it, is it, is it lawful to, to, do, to do good or to save a life or to do harm or to kill? Now, understand this. Think about this. This is a pretty simple question. On the Sabbath, if someone's dying, what should you do? Help them. Save them. 
They were allowed to do that. In fact, there was even allowances in the law. Jesus even said to him another time, if you had an oxen in a ditch, you don't let it die there, you get it out of the ditch. There was some allowances, are you with me? If someone's dying, you help them. But he says, or to do harm or to kill. Now let me ask you, should you go out and kill someone or kill somebody or do harm to someone on the Sabbath? You shouldn't do harm or kill someone anyways, right? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Jesus is asking them a very, very, very obvious question that everyone knew the answer to. But you know what they did? They're like a high school student in math class. You ask them, do you know the answer? You know? It's like when you tell your kids to go clean the room. They sat there. They did not respond. Notice what happens. And he looked around them. Can you say these words with me? With what? With anger. How do we know he was angry? How did... How did the author of this book know to write that he was angry? Because it was visible. Jesus was disgusted. He was angry. And he doesn't sin, though, but he's angry. Everyone knew it. He looked around them with anger, grieved. Notice this, at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Can you picture this? And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees, they went out and rejoiced and praised God. Oh, wait, no. They went out, immediately held a council. Look at this. With the Herodians against him, how they could destroy him. In many versions, it says how they can basically plot to kill him. Do you see why Jesus was angry? Two times we see Jesus going into the temple. We call it the cleansing of the temple. Two times Jesus goes into the temple. Once is right after his first miracle, the wedding at Cana. If you look in John chapter 2, right after his first miracle, you know what Jesus does? He says, hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem. And you know what he does? He goes to Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and as soon as he walks in the temple, he knocks over the tables, he throws the chairs, he even makes a whip, and he starts running them out. I love that Jesus, by the way. He's my kind of Jesus. Amen. He's cleaning house, and he runs them out. And he says, you've, you, you've, you've made the house of God a place of merchandise. You've missed the point. Three or so years later, think about this. The first week of Jesus' ministry, he cleanses the temple. The last week of his public ministry, literally within days, Jesus will be going to the upper room. And we'll be talking about communion here in a few moments. But what does Jesus do when he rides in on, on his donkey and he rides in and they're celebrating and they're praising and they're honoring him and glorifying him? Jesus goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple and he says something very powerful. He says this, that my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7, where he says the prophet prophesies and says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations and for all people. You see, Jesus was angry. Jesus was upset because Jesus saw that the house of God had become a place of merchandise. And it was no longer keeping the main thing, the main thing. And this goes back to what is our mission Red Hills, what is our mission? We talked about some very important things that our mission is, is that we are to, to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen? That's part of our mission. We said the second thing about our mission, if we're going to keep the main things, the main things is to do what? To preach and proclaim the word of God. Last week we studied that if we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, that we need to make sure that Red Hills is about making disciples. And anyone remember what a disciple looks like? A disciple is, looks like what? They love God and they love others. That's what a disciple looks like. And we should be creating disciples who love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and love others. And then we see here that on this first Palm Sunday, 
as we were celebrating Palm Sunday, that Jesus came into Jerusalem and we see that he goes to the temple and he says this, he makes a proclamation, my house, God's house, shall be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Red Hills should always be a place where people are calling out to God. Amen? Place of prayer. Look at Psalms 141, verse 2, just a few passages on prayer. Even in the Old Testament, David saw this importance. He says, let my prayer be counted. Notice what he says. It says, incense before you. In the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalmist says in one, Psalm 145, he says this. He says this, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. God's house should be a house of prayer. Jesus, while here on earth, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he began to teach them how to pray. And he said this, that men should always pray and not quit. We see Jesus in the upper room numerous times in the upper room as they're getting ready to break the bread that he gave thanks and they had a time of prayer in the upper room. As Jesus leaves the upper room with his disciples, where does he go? He goes to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes to that garden. And what does he do? He prays. And what does he ask his disciples to do with him? He says, will you watch and will you pray with me? And numerous times, three times, Jesus comes back. And what does he find? He finds his disciples sleeping. But he says, watch and pray or you'll enter into temptation. Prayer. You study the book of Acts, the early church was a praying church. They met in the upper room, and as they were meeting there in unity, I can guarantee they were praying and seeking God, and God sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost. You'll see that Peter was thrown in prison, and while he's in prison, thinking that he's going to be executed, the Bible says the church spent all night in prayer, and they were praying for Peter. Do you remember the story? Peter comes, and he begins to knock on the door. Do you remember this? He begins to knock on the door, and uh, one of the little girls, I think her name was Rhoda, she comes to the door, and she realizes it's Peter, and she's like, it's Peter, it's Peter, and she runs back into this praying church and says, Peter's out there, like, no, it's his ghost. It's not him. Do you really think about that? You know, here they were praying and wanting God to do a miraculous thing, and when he did... They're like, no, it's not him. It's not Peter. And she's like, no, it's him. And so she goes back and then she comes back. Finally, the church sees the power of prayer and they rejoice because God had delivered Peter. Peter was sleeping. The angel wakes him up and they walk through. It's kind of like Star Wars. The force was with them. Amen. His chains and the doors are just opening as he goes. All of my kids, when they were little, I used to play that trick on them. When they were really little and they weren't quite old enough to figure it out, and they were kind of in the Star Wars and the Force, whenever we go to a store, I would go like this, and the doors would open, and I'd walk through, and my little kids, especially Josiah, he was so gullible. He just thought I was the one going like this, and the doors would open, and he was just a little guy, and he was just, he was so gullible. I had him fooled for years, you know? The doors just open wide and Peter walks out and goes to the church that was praying. They were praying church. All through the book of Acts, you'll see that the early church, they were men and women of prayer. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray continually. We don't have time to go to the scripture, but in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, Paul tells Timothy and he commands Timothy, he tells the church that the church should pray. That they should continually pray and they should always be in prayer and the church needs to be a praying church. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, that he says, put on the whole armor of God that you can overcome the, the wiles, the schemes of the evil one, of the enemy. But he says this, he says at the end, he says you have your helmet of salvation, but he says take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes one step farther, he says, and then prayer. 
The two spiritual weapons that we have, church, is we have the word of God and prayer. Obviously, we have the spirit of God who dwells within us. But the two weapons that we have as we are in spiritual warfare with the enemy is we have the word of God and we have prayer. The church needs to be a praying church. And so my challenge to us today is to remember the words of Jesus on that first Palm Sunday where he said this, my house shall be a house of prayer. A place where God's people are calling out to him, calling upon the name of the Lord. We need to be a praying church. Would you agree, church? Amen. Where two or three are gathered together, what does Jesus say? I am there in the midst. I would encourage you, if you ever have prayer needs and prayer requests, let us know. Get them to us. Write them down. Put them in the offering box. Whether you put money in with it or not, it doesn't matter. Amen? Put a prayer in the offering box. Email it to us. Get it to the pastoral team. Get it to the church body. We get it out there. Be a praying church. We meet at 8.15. That's really early. We meet at 8.15. If some of you like to meet at 8.15 and pray. But when you meet in your small groups, pray. Amen. When you're coming to Sunday school before you open a word, pray. But understand this. It's not just about... There is importance of corporate prayer. But can I say this? The Bible says bear one another's burdens. Let me encourage you to do this. Ask people within the church body to pray with you and for you on things that you need prayer for. Amen? There's something powerful to that. There's something powerful about having other people pray with you, at times pray for you. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. And it's sad that we have to preach it in churches. But you know, a lot of times, churches becomes much about a production and there's very little prayer. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. As Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and as we get ready to have communion, you'll find that he spent time in prayer with his disciples. I'm going to ask if you would take a few moments. Take a moment if you need to pick one up. But let's have just a few moments of communion and remembrance this morning. We are celebrating Palm Sunday. We just talked a little bit about what Jesus did on that Palm Sunday. A few days later, Jesus says, with desire, I've desired to have this, this supper with you. And in preparation for the Passover, Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room. It's a very intimate setting. And he does something different at this Passover. He takes some bread, he takes some juice, and he speaks of this new covenant, this New Testament. He said that's sealed. He says, it's in my blood. And so Jesus, in that upper room, is going to establish his New Testament, his new covenant, that Jesus is going to become our great high priest. The Bible says that during that supper that he took some bread and he broke it. It's interesting. He prayed over it. He said he blessed it and he prayed over it. Would you take out the bread just for a moment? Would you look at the bread? Would you remember the body of Christ? Remember his sacrifice, all that he went through for us? Lord, we thank you for your obedience. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you were willing to go to the cross for us. As we think about this week and we prepare our hearts for the celebration of your resurrection, before you could defeat death, hell, and the grave and resurrect, you had to go to the cross. You had to become our substitute. You had to take our place. And so we thank you, Lord, for your body that you willingly, you willingly laid down your life for us. And we thank you.
I can't even imagine what it must have been like as you were with your disciples in this upper room and as you broke the bread, you already knew what you would go through for us. But you still went through it anyway. Oh, what great love you have for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Would you take the bread and eat with me, please? Would you take out the juice? Would you look at the juice just for a moment? Remember the, the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but by his stripes we are healed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious blood. We thank you that you shed your blood for our sins. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you made for us. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you drink with me? have some announcements in a few moments, but I would like to ask Nancy and Jerry, they're going to come up and do a special for us this morning. And uh, we'll have just a short message, and then we'll kind of transition into having communion together this morning. Matthew chapter 21, in just a moment, we'll have a word of prayer and ask to bless uh, his, his word this morning as we study his word. Just a reminder, we've been doing a short series. This is, will be the last of our series uh, on what is our mission. And we're actually going to look at Palm Sunday and Jesus, uh, some things that Jesus did on that first Palm Sunday to kind of remind us of some things that are important, some things that should be the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. And so what is our mission and we're going to see even here in the first Palm Sunday, Jesus has to correct his people uh, because they were abusing and, and neglecting some of the most important things that Jesus would have us to do. So let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd bless your word this morning. I pray, Lord, you bless the children in children's church. And I pray you'd bless each one here today as we gather around your word. I pray that, Lord, uh, we would be receptive, that we would not get distracted, Lord, uh, from what is the most important things. Why, why do you have us here? And what is our purpose? What is our mission? And as a church body, what, what should we be about? What should be important? And so, Lord, I pray that we would see that the things that were important to you and the things that you were passionate about, that we as a church body, that we too should be passionate about these things as well. So bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 21. Uh, if you want to follow along with me or if you have a Bible, you can do that as well. It says this, and the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought a donkey and the colt and they put them on their, on, on their cloaks. And he sat on them. It says most of the crowd, they spread their clo uh, cloaks or coats on the road and others cut down branches this is where we get Palm Sunday. They cut the branches from the palm trees and they spread them on the road. And it says this, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. They were shouting it, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred saying, Who is this? And the crowd, they said, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of money and the changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den 
of thieves, a den of robbers, a place of merchandise. We'll get to that, that aspect in a moment, but today we celebrate what's called Palm Sunday. Many of you are familiar with that. And it, as we begin kind of what many call as the Holy Week, and we're getting ready uh, for the celebration next Sunday of the resurrection, there's a lot of things that took place in these last days of Jesus, in the last week of Jesus. One here is we have this, what we call the triumphal entry. When Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, and he's riding on that donkey, and he's coming down off the Mount of Olives with his disciples, there's millions of people. Josephus, a great historian, he estimated that there were possibly three million plus people, pilgrims from all over the world. In fact, as you study, remember, there was a man named Simon of Cyrene. There were people as far away as Africa, pilgrims coming to Jerusalem, coming to celebrate the Passover. So the city is thronged with people, and there's millions of people, many of them not even knowing all of the events leading up to this. And they say, who is this man? What is going on? Why is there such a stir? Who is this? And they say, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. And so they begin to throw out their coats and their cloaks, uh, cloaks and they begin to cut down the branches. And they begin to pave the way. And in essence, they were saying, here comes our king. Now remember that... Jewish people, they wanted to be free from Rome, right? They wanted to be delivered from Rome. And they were in their mind thinking that Jesus, with his might and with his, his prophecy and with his abilities and with his power and with his miracles, that he was going to deliver them from Rome. But may I remind you of something? Jesus did not come to, to deliver them temporarily. He came to give them freedom for all eternity. Amen. And so this crowd is going to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, oh save. But understand this, in a matter of just a few days, they're going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he does something interesting here. Is... After he comes into Jerusalem, we see him go into the temple. And what does Jesus do when he goes into the temple? Well, the Bible says that he takes the tables filled with money and he begins to toss them. He begins to throw them. He then takes the seats where those, those people who were selling the pigeons and he throws their seats and he tosses them. You know, many times we see Jesus, in whether it's paintings or pictures, or when we think of Jesus, we see Jesus depicted in different ways. For example, many times when we think of Jesus maybe as a baby, we think of little baby Jesus in a manger. We see that. We see Jesus preaching to a multitude, uh, the Sermon on the, on the Mount, and we see a multitude of people and Jesus standing there preaching. We'll see Jesus healing someone. We'll see paintings and depictions of Jesus in the Last Supper. And we'll be getting ready here in a few moments to have communion together. We often think of that picture of Jesus there in the upper room with his disciples. And it's a beautiful painting. And, and, and it's that of the Last Supper. There's a beautiful painting of Jesus in a, in a garden and he's knocking on a door. And some of you are familiar with that picture. But let me ask you, when was the last time you saw a painting or a picture of Jesus just going rogue? You know what I mean? Jesus just throwing tables and throwing chairs. And, 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 and it's amazing because that's not the, the side of Jesus that most of us think about. Are you with me this morning? yourself. <laughs> I kind of like this Jesus every so often, amen? Jesus is upset and Jesus is angry. We're going to talk about this just for a few moments, but, but we have to ask ourselves, why is Jesus so angry? Why was he so angry and upset? Well, look with me in Ephesians chapter 4 first in verse 26, and I want to just make sure we, we cover this. Ephesians 4, 26, can you say in verse, uh, the first two words with me, he says what? Be, can you say it again? Be, so is it okay to be angry? Yes. He says, be angry, but he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
You know, we live in a culture and a society, and we've become, I, I've been using this word the last week, and I'm going to use it again this week. We've become so woke that it's almost like you're not allowed to be angry about anything. You want to know something? That Jesus, God in the flesh, that Jesus, when he was here on earth, there's numerous times that Jesus got angry, visibly angry. I mean, but it was a righteous anger. Do you understand? He was righteously angry. He was upset. And in our culture today, if we were to see Jesus, I'll be honest, Jesus would have been canceled for sure. Could you imagine? They're like, he went into this temple and he was so violent. He was just full of violence. Love is the answer. Love is it. You know, and it is love. It was out of love that Jesus was doing what he was doing. Does this make sense? He was righteously angry. So understand, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to sometimes be righteous, I like to, I use this term righteously indignant, okay? It's okay to be angry. Jesus got angry. But notice he did not sin. You know, for example, I used this example earlier, but, but abortion as believers, as Christians, it should anger us. And, 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 I, and let me say that again. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we know the scriptures, it should anger us. And the church should say right there, Amen. If you can't say amen to that, then maybe Red Hills is in the church for you. I'm just being honest. Because butchering babies and taking innocent life and snuffing out innocent life, that is a sin. And, and, and the Bible is very clear. And it ought to cause us to get angry and upset. But it should not cause us to sin. It does not make it right for people to go in and to, you know what I'm saying, to have bombs and to blow up uh, clinics. And to kill people, are you with me this morning? And so he, there's a balance. Jesus was, was balanced. And Jesus, out of love, was upset and he was angry. And he went in and he was cleansing the temple. He did it another time. We'll speak of that in a moment. But I want you to notice in Mark chapter 3 real quick. Another time where the Bible, the disciples, the gospel of Mark tells us Jesus was angry. So in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, And again he entered into the synagogue. This is up in the Galilee area. And he goes into the synagogue. And it says, and there was a man with a withered hand. Picture this man with a completely withered hand, you know, shriveled up. And he, he, it's difficult for him to work and provide for his family. Picture this. It says, and they, it says this, and they, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, it says, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So that they might accuse him. They're hoping that Jesus heals this man. Why? Not because they wanted to see a man healed. Not because they wanted to see a miracle. But because they wanted to try to accuse Jesus of sinning. Of doing good on the Sabbath. Now notice this. And he said to the man with the withered hand, he says, come here. And so the man, he's going to come. And he said to them, he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're scheming. He knows everything that they're trying to do to him. And so Jesus is going to ask him a question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Listen to what he says. To save a life, to save a life or to kill. But notice what happens. They were silent. Jesus asks them a question. He asks them, he says, I already know what you're thinking. I know you're trying to accuse me. You're trying to catch me, you know, what they would think was sinning. And he says, let me ask you a question. Is it, a, is it unlawful? Would it be a sin for me or, or for any of you to, to save a life, to save someone? And then later he says, or to kill. Now, understand this. Within the law, even within the law, if there was an animal that was... was destitute or an animal in a ditch, even Jesus said in one of the Gospels, he said, if there was an ox in a ditch, you would pull it out even on the Sabbath in order to save its life. You see, within the law, God built in this idea that if someone's life needed to be saved, you had this allowance, there was allowance to save a life, to do good, to help. But notice what he, he doesn't just stop there. He says, but he says, or to, to kill or to harm. So think about this now. Is it ever right to just kill someone in cold blood or to do someone harm maliciously? The answer is what? No. Jesus asks, I mean, think about this now. He asks such a simple question that all of them knew the answer to. 
But because the Bible says, because of the hardness of the heart, they would not respond. He says, this isn't easy. You should, this isn't easy one. And the Bible says they don't respond. So notice what happens. And he looked around them with, with what? Can you say the next word with me? Anger. Why? Because he was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, I would have loved to have been there. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus got angry this day in the synagogue. How do we know he was angry? Well, because the gospel writers, they were there. And as they witnessed, they were like, okay, he was angry. It was visible. And Jesus was rebuking them. Jesus was rebuking them for the hardness of their heart. Do you know that Jesus, another time, we call it cleansing the temple, that Jesus went into the temple. The Bible says that once again, he knocked over the tables. And the Bible says he even made a whip. And with that whip, whew, I love this Jesus, amen. He ran out the Pharisees. He ran them out. And even his own disciples were like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, Jesus, whoa, what is going on? But he ran them out of the temple. This is what's interesting. It was the first, it was right, it was the first week of Jesus' ministry. Jesus went immediately into the temple after his first miracle. In John chapter 2, after the, the, the turning of the water into wine, after that first miracle, Jesus goes immediately to the temple. And what does he do? He cleans house. He kicks him out. He says, get, get out of here. He says, you're abusing the temple of God. You're abusing the house of God. Three or so years later, as Jesus is, as we're, you know, getting ready to, to think about the fact that he's getting ready to have this last supper with disciples, he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he's going to go to the cross, and then next week we celebrate the resurrection. You know what Jesus does? The last week of his ministry, the last few days that he's here on earth doing his work, what does he do? He goes into the temple. He knocks over the tables. He, the money's flying everywhere. He picks up chairs. He starts to throw them. And he says this. He says, my house shall be called a house of what? Say it with me, church. Prayer but you've made it nothing more than a place of merchandise, abusing the house of God. So here's the short challenge for us as a church. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen? Church, the church, the body of Christ should be called a house of prayer. In fact, Jesus was quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah said that my house, the prophet prophesied ahead of time, he said that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations and for all people. And by the way, that was prophetic because it meant this, that that place was not only, that, 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 that the place of prayer, that his house would be called a house of prayer for all nations and all people, not just the Jewish people. It means Jew and Gentile alike, Amen. You and I. The church should be a place of prayer. Notice what David said in Psalm 141, verse 2. He says, in this psalm, he speaks of prayer. He says, let my prayer, he says, it's counted as incense. Do you see that? He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. He uses prayer as an analogy. He says, it's, it's as though it's incense to the Father. And it's as though we're offering sacrifice to him. He says in Psalm 145, speaking of prayer, I like this. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. While Jesus was here on earth, he set the greatest example of prayer. His own disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus began to teach them the model prayer. But he said this, that men should always pray and not quit. We see that Jesus set the example as well. In the moment when we have communion, we'll have a time where we pray and we give thanks. Jesus there in the upper room with his disciples in his last hours, what does he do? He spends time with his disciples in prayer. He then leaves and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begins to spend time. And what does he do? He prays. What does he ask his disciples to do with him? He says, will you do what? Will you pray with me? 
He said, will you watch and will you pray with me? And like a lot of us, when he began to pray, what did they do? Fell asleep. And Jesus goes back and he comes back and he finds them and he wakes them up. And he says, will you not watch with me? Will you not pray with me? And Jesus, in such agony as he's there, the Bible says that the weight, the weight of sin, the weight of, of, the, of the, everything that he's going to be going through is placed upon Jesus. And he begins to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he says, disciples, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The book of Acts, we clearly see that the early church was a praying church. I would say it like this, that the church, the early church moved forward on its knees. They were a praying church. You'll see all through the book of Acts that they prayed and God moved and God worked. They prayed and God healed. They prayed and waited for the Spirit to come and God sent the Spirit. They prayed and we see Peter being delivered from prison. We see Paul and, and, and Barnabas as they're thrown in prison. And what do they do? As they, after they've been beaten and everything that they went through, they prayed and God delivered them. They were a praying church, praying church. Paul tells Timothy, we don't have time this morning, but in 1 Timothy 2, the, most of the chapter, he commands. Paul says to the church, in the churches, he commands that the church should always pray and that men and, and women everywhere, that all men should pray, lifting up holy hands. The church should be a praying church. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that we are in a spiritual warfare, we're in a spiritual battle, and that we're in spiritual conflict. And he says, here are your weapons. He says, after you take on that helmet, that's a defensive, weapon, defensive uh, tool. He says, after you put on that helmet, he says, do what? He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then he says this, praying always in the Spirit, prayer. The two weapons that we have in the spiritual warfare is we are at, at, at war with the adversaries. We have the word of God and we have prayer. And prayer is so vital. Prayer is so important. And what's really sad is this, is that I believe a lot of churches have forgotten the importance of being a praying church. To pray. And so the challenge this morning for us we look at the first Palm Sunday, and when we study and we think about what is our mission, what are some things that we should be passionate about at Red Hills? Do you remember what we said? One was this, to seek and to save the lost. Amen? The second one was this, to proclaim the word of God, that the word of God should be preeminent. The word of God should be priority. Amen. The word of God should be important at church. If you go to church and you, and you don't have any scripture, you're not in church. Okay. You'd be surprised how many churches use very little scripture nowadays. Have you been around? Have you seen it out there? They'll have one little one, maybe one little verse. And now it's all it's going to be is motivational speakers. We have lots of motivational speakers, but very few people preaching the word of God. How sad it is. Correct. The Bible says that there was a, there was a famine in the land of hearing the word of God. Paul warned and said in the last days, what will people do? They'll turn away their ears from hearing the truth. What should, be, what should be important at Red Hills? What should we be passionate about? Making disciples. Remember we covered last week. What does a disciple look like? A disciple is this, one who loves God and loves others, right? And when we look at this Palm Sunday, what was something else that Jesus was very passionate about? By the way, his mission should be our mission, amen? What's important to Christ should be important to us as a church body here at Red Hills. And Jesus said, to them as he went into the temple. He said to these religious leaders, he says, listen, you have, you have completely gotten away from what my house is all about. My house, will you say it with me, church, shall be what? A house of prayer. May we be a praying people. Amen? Amen. I'd ask that you take out the elements. In just a moment, we're going to have communion here. So if you need it, I'd encourage you to pick it up. And so, go back with me a couple thousand years. 
Jesus just went in and cleansed the temple. And the people who were already angry with him are now much more angry. Jesus begins to heal in the temple. And they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. Remember, Jesus knows he is going to be come and be the Passover lamb for us. And so a few days after what we just studied and we just read about, the Bible says that Jesus desired to have this supper with his disciples. And so he already had it prearranged. Him being God already had the spot picked out. And the disciples were worried, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And Jesus said, don't worry. It's pretty cool if you read in, in the gospel there. He said, there'll be a guy who's carrying like a pot. Just follow him. And say that the master has, needs use of it and, and uh, he has a room ready for us. So the disciples go and, man, everything Jesus said was true. And so there was a room prepared, an upper room, where Jesus was going to meet with his disciples there in Jerusalem to have this Last Supper. What we call the Last Supper, communion. You see, they were going to celebrate the Passover and... Jesus does do some things different at this Passover because he begins to talk about something new. I like new, amen? He says there's going to be something new happening. He says there's going to be a new covenant, a new testament or a new covenant in my blood. They didn't realize what all he was saying, but what he was saying is that this new testament, this new covenant is going to be sealed in his own blood. And so at this Last Supper, Jesus speaks with his disciples and he talks with them and he then breaks bread and he passes it around the table. And then as he passes the bread around the table, he's going to pray and give thanks. And so I'd ask that you take out the bread. Would you look at the bread just for a few moments? Because Jesus, after he broke the bread, he reminds them and he says to them, hey, listen, this, this, this is a picture. This is my body. This is my body that will be broken for you. They had no comprehension. They really did not fully comprehend what Jesus was saying, but a few days later they did. He, so he, he broke the bread and it says this, that when he had given thanks. And so would you pray with me, bow with me, and give a word of thanks Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ so badly beaten. Lord, all that you went through on the cross, you willingly, you willingly went to the cross. You laid down your life. You gave your life for us. And so we take a moment this morning to give thanks. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, for the love, the love that you had that put you on that cross for us. And so we give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you eat with me this morning? Would you take the juice? Would you just take a few moments and look at the juice? Remember the blood of Christ. The Bible says that by his stripes that we are healed. The Bible says without the shedding of blood that there is no remission or there is no forgiveness for sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for our sins. We're so thankful that you willingly went to the cross, you shed your blood, that you became our Passover lamb, you became our sacrifice, that you took our place upon the cross. And so we give thanks. We remember you today. We remember all that you've done for us. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you drink with me?
As many of you know, the Lord Jesus then did go to the cross. And he paid the price for our sins. But next Sunday, we get to celebrate that he is alive. Amen? And that he is risen. Give him praise. Give him honor. And give him glory. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I think we have one last song before we close out. And then we'll have just a couple announcements and we'll have prayer for Family Sunday.